Hey everyone, welcome to Orange Crushing It, a weekly series dedicated to high drive, passionate and motivated individuals. I'm your host, Frank Clark, President and CEO of The Mr. Orange. This shows a weekly dose of business, life and personal development principles geared toward bringing out the adrenaline junkie and overachiever in each and every one of you. As a seasoned entrepreneur of over five companies producing hundreds of millions in revenue, I'm going to personally be sharing my stories of success and, of course, my life-defining massive screw-ups, <laughs> as well as featuring inspiring guests, business leaders, athletes, thrill-seekers who just truly want to walk their talk and make life happen. Stick around, and let's get crushing. All right, everybody. Hey, welcome to another episode of Orange Crushing It. My name is Frank Clark. I'm the CEO of The Mr. Orange, and... I'm coming at you live from in my apartment here in Tampa, Florida today, where I have the distinct honor and privilege to interview and speak with one of my kindred spirit buddies, uh, an old school rocker like me, uh, Steve Eichenblatt. Let me just give you a little bit of history on Steven. Steven is a guy that loves to inspire people, and he kind of learned all that from Zig Ziglar because he knows that everything you want in, in life, you get when you help other people get what they want. He's a student of a lot of personal development like myself. He grew up, you know, tough childhood, disappointing fathers and, you know, divorce and, you know, created a bit of an angry situation for him. But you know what? That anger turned himself into a kick-ass lawyer. Much like myself, he was involved in a lot of rock shows, Aerosmith and Nugent and Skinner. And, you know, of course, you know, the occasional smoking a little bit of weed in high school, maybe a little bit more weed in high school. I don't know. (laughs) Uh, He's a practicing lawyer in Orlando. And co-founder of Page and Eichenblatt, started that in 1993. He's done some inf- uh, some insurance defense attorney for big companies like Walmart and Winn-Dixie and Publix. So if you think you're going to fall down in those stores and suit a store, you're wrong. Steve Eichenblatt's going to kick your ass. And <laughs> he was an AV-rated attorney named Guardian at Litem of the Year. Does a lot of pro bono work for sexually and physically abused kids and kids that need parental termination, dependencies, adoption. He works on all of that stuff. He was a volunteer lawyer for the 9-11 fund, representing a lot of the families and victims of 9-11. He shares his story a lot of times with students and kids, even though he was a massive high school screw up. (laughs) So I'll let him talk about that, though. I don't want to. I will not throw stones. He and glass houses should not throw stones. Stephen has uh, (laughs) published a book called The Lost Save of Tug McGraw. It's on Amazon, and he's working on his new memoir called Hello Yellow. I was thinking it was maybe going to be Mellow Yellow. Remember that song? Yeah. Yellow. Got some cool stories. He's lived a fantastic life. And when Warren Zevon sings about needing lawyers, guns, and money, he's asking for the one, the only, the rock star himself, Steve Eichenblatt. Stephen, welcome to Orange Crushing It. Thank you, and uh, appreciate you having me during this crazy uh, pandemic time. But yeah. I love Mr. Orange, man. I'm going to just tell you, say, really tell, tell the audience real quick how I met you, because I really spotted you. Um, I've always been a self-help guy. I heard of Tony Robbins. I wound up connected. Actually, my fiance's father was Tony's best man. Whole different story I won't get into right now. And they talked me into going date with Destiny because they thought maybe Tony could teach me a few things to uh, get me out of my comfort zone and find the real me. And I had, I'm very cynical as a cynical lawyer, having seen all these things. So I go to Day with Destiny, which I highly recommend, one of the great experiences of my life. And I've had all kinds of good, bad, ugly experiences. And one day when we're during the Day with Destiny thing, I'm trying to figure all this out. Who are these people? They're from all over the world. What is he saying? Don't call on me. I 
group leader come up to me and said, Steve, your story was the most moving story that we have, that we have read this time around. And we would like to talk with you about it, which I interpret as you mean like Tony's going to call me and I'm like, there's no fucking way I'm going to get up and talk in front of all those people and have him cross-examine because that takes courage and I wasn't ready to be that courageous. However, I sat and I, I watched and there was, a, there was an exercise, I can't remember what it's called, Frank. Spiral uh, Dynamics. Spiral Dynamics and where Tony walked around and he selected people to, to represent certain colors which represented certain philosophies and you can jump in and correct me, Frank, but, but he chose, you know, he chose like a liberal person was maybe green. And there was a, there was a, a real church oriented, ruling oriented. Was that, was that was red maybe? That was blue. That was blue. Shows you how much I paid attention. And then he chose a guy who was like, I realized later in orange, dressed in orange, jumping up and down uh, with the uh, orange vest. And that was uh, Mr. Orange, our, our man, Frank uh, Clark here. And as Frank started talking, and, and I'm kind of a green, blue, I'm liberal in some areas, conservative in others. I have my own thoughts about things. I vote Republican, Democrat, whoever it is that I, I feel I'm connected to. As I'm listening to Mr. Orange, I'm like going, man, this guy is a fucking asshole. I can't believe some of the stuff he's saying, but he is really good. Like, he is good, you know, on the business side. And, and part of it, of course, is is trying to make take the make the point to the other people in the room about business and about earning income and about helping others and the way he was building it. But but as I'm listening to Frank and I'm watching this, and it's hard to keep my attention because I'm ADD, I'm a lawyer, I'm cynical. I don't believe that people are actually really talking about things that they know about. They're just, you know, they're just selected. I'm watching it and I'm going, this is a great exercise. And that guy, Mr. Orange, man, even though I don't like what he has to say, I could tell he he's really smart. He comes across well, and he's a leader, and, and I want to meet him. So that led to me uh, getting in touch with Frank. I told him exactly what I just said now, which is I thought you were an asshole, but I really liked how you presented it, and you're really good at what you do, and you, and you inspired me, Frank. You really did mean that. And you no, still think I, I'm an asshole, but we still hang out and go to concerts and hang. <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But I'm open-minded enough to realize that you don't have to agree with something, everything someone says, but you take the good stuff and you learn from it and you turn it into an opportunity, which is what we have. So for me, uh, you know, I do a lot, of, a lot of talking at schools and I genuinely uh, learn to love to help people, especially if I think they're being oppressed or pushed on. And a lot of that probably comes from my childhood because I got the shit kicked out of me uh, emotionally. I had a couple, you know, difficult situations. My father left me and then I had another man move in and adopt me. And I won't go into too much detail about that, but I was really, you know, it forced me to go out on my own at a very early age and learn how important it is to have positive role models in your life, which led to my Tug McGraw story. I spent 10 minutes with... Tug McGraw, when I was 10 years old, who was a famous Major League Baseball player at the time, and later turned out he was the father of Tim McGraw, which um, I'm not sure he knew at the time. But I wrote that story because I always remember 10 minutes with a role model, how much it meant to me as a kid, because I really didn't have a role model. I didn't have a father that was worth modeling after who 
And I always wanted a big brother. So I decided years later to, to write about the effect Tug had on me and, and how much I learned uh, from how, how you can influence, you know, influence kids, influence others by being positive and upbeat and, and honest. So that led to me eventually when I became a lawyer, deciding one of the things I want to do is talk to high school kids. Because I was a high school kid that really, I had no idea what direction I was going in. Yeah, I love going to concerts. I love getting stoned three days, uh, three times a day because that's just what we did. I zero supervision. I graduated high school, which really, I mean, it takes a lot of work because I'm pretty smart to graduate with a 2.1 in high school. I mean, that, that really that's right on the edge, man. That's right on the. You got to do it again. <laughs> I mean, um, I was like, I'm like now I look at it and go. I, I look at my grades. I was getting D's and F's, and. <laughs> I just didn't care. I didn't know why I was there. I had nobody pushing me in any direction. And, but I was smart and I could read really well. So I took the uh, SAT and did well in the, the SAT. And, and a lot of what I read, frankly, when I was young was books about, you know, people who went from crap, rags to riches type books, you know, self-help books. And um, it inspired me and I loved to read. I would hide. I would hide in my closet, in my house to to get away from the noise in the corner. And I, would, I was always reading and that, that saved my life. And that also inspired me later on to, you know, to, to go to law school. But I wanted to help kids that I recognize were kind of, uh, or didn't, didn't understand, you know, what life was about, didn't have goals, were kind of wandering, even entitled kids. When I started practicing law, I became a guardian ad litem, which is a pro bono thing where you're representing kids who have been physically abused, whose estate is trying to take them away from their parents. They appoint a lawyer to actually represent the, the child. And that was how I started doing the GAL stuff, which has been incredibly gratifying, but sad at the same time, because there are kids who have their families, they come from families who have been in the system their parents are 14, their mom might be 14 years old. She's in the, in the system. She has a guardian lineup. She has kids. It's, it's, uh, it's a tough cycle. I can only imagine. I can only imagine what you're seeing every single day, right? It's tragic. And obviously it probably pulls some triggers in your own childhood, right? The point of it is, Steve, that you rise above it and you, and it's, it's this giving back mentality, which makes you successful, right? Givers get. And that's, that's you have an absolute attitude of abundance and gratitude, which you turn that you know difficult situation, difficult childhood around into giving back to those so that they can have less of a difficult childhood, you know, and probably a greater quality of life. So commendable. Well, it's it's, it's, it's kind of humorous too because I get, I get along. I'm like a street lawyer. I get along well with every kind of person. You know, I'm not. They don't stand on formality, and I'll have clients come in here. Who, who will talk about, oh, you're just a lawyer. How would you know? And I'm like, you have no freaking idea where I come from. You know, you have no idea what I've been through. You know, I've been in the middle of, of a adoption. And I've been in the middle of hearings for custody and been to court and lost my father as a result of, of some, you know, bad decisions made when I was a kid. I've been through it all. So that kind of helps me identify with some of the kids who are going through either custody issues or the sexual abuse issues, though I was never sexually abused. But I understand what it's like to, to need guidance. So one of the, uh, one of the 
things I started doing, and it, and it arose out of a case. And I'll talk about this case a little bit. I started doing personal injury work on the plaintiff side after I'd been an insurance defense lawyer representing these big, big companies and, and you know, attacking people. And I, and I had a lot of anger in me. We know when you grow up and you've had things, you know, thrown at you from all different things and you have that anger inside, you know, Tony Robbins had talks about that a little bit, but you have it inside and you don't know how it's going to come out. And when I was a defense lawyer, I was really good at being mean. I could be. And- so what you're actually saying here, Steve, a little bit is that you actually do love Mr. Orange. You actually did love everything I was saying. <laughs> <laughs> it was this childhood trauma, anger that was coming out of you. But actually, you're a loving guy. And what I said was resonated with you. <laughs> yeah, that's, right. that's no. bullshit. Okay. Yeah. No, no, but no. Well, you, yeah. Well, you can you convert your anger to, to, to cash is what you do. I actually convert to help people. So, but anyway, so one of one of the things that I started doing after being on the defense side is I started doing plaintiff's work. One day I get a call from a, a family and it was a it was a mom and one of her neighbors I'd represented in the past and their son, sixteen year old. Got killed in a car crash. His name was Andy. And I remember I went over to their house. And of course, there's nothing worse in life than losing a child, especially that suddenly when you're, you know, they were in North Carolina, their house in North Carolina. He was their only child. They lived in this beautiful house on a lake uh, down in the Orlando area. And I remember them inviting me to their house to sit down and talk with them. And walking in the house, and it was completely all the shades are drawn. And the dad said, do you want to see his room, Andy's room? And it's probably a, a month or so since he had, he had died. And I was, you know, sure, I'll, I'll see his room. And they had left his room exactly as it had been on the day or the night that he left and got in the car accident. Exactly the same same way. I mean, same little, you know, clothes on the floor. They hadn't had the courage, or I don't even know if you call it courage. They had not been able to go up there and erase some of the things he'd written on his board or, or you know, take his clothes out. And I couldn't really understand it because you can't, if you say you understand, there's no way you do. It's kind of like uh, when somebody says, like, rest in peace, or oh, I'm sorry somebody died. I, I realize it's always sad when someone dies, but it does suck. You know, it's okay to say, you know what, that sucked, man. I really, I can't even understand, but I'll try to help you. So helping this family meant trying to figure out what happened to their son. It was a one-car accident, and he had driven into a tree, and it turned out that he had a lot of alcohol in the system. They wanted to know where he had been, who had given him the alcohol, and they were thankful above everything else, as tragic as it was for them, they lost their child. I remember this wonderful mom saying, we're just happy he didn't kill anybody else, you know, because, you know, our son did something irresponsible, something we told him never to do. Don't ever, if you think you're going to have some drinks, and this is before Uber, of course, just call us. Make me a promise. Make me a promise, Andy. will call us before you get in the car and drive. We're always here for you. We're not going to question you. We're not going to make it worse. And that became the message when I was talking to the kids. It became the theme, and our little organization was called Andy's Promise. Because Andy had made a promise to his parents that he broke, that he broke. Because he was afraid he was going to get in trouble 
So for parents who are listening, and I know there's Uber, it's just really important that you sit down with your kids and say, we're all going to screw up in life. I have screwed up. Even Mr. Orange has screwed up. My kids have screwed up. You know, call me first. You know, call me, you know, before anything else, before it becomes worse. Before, you know, if you've done drugs by whatever, call me. You know, don't get in the car and drive. or Don't, don't go to the next thing. You know, right. uh, no judgment. And that was, that was their message. With Andy's case, we spent uh, two years trying to figure out what bar he went to. There were two potential bars that he had gone to in Orlando. Each bar was saying he had been at the other place. They both denied it. He had died 100 yards. It was on a Super Bowl Sunday from, from one of the bars, but they're both close together. You know, and I remember, this is probably 10 years ago now, I would actually... I was so like, I got to figure this out because I'm going to get this case is going to get dismissed because I have no evidence which bar he was at. I just know he was drunk, but they're both denying it. And I would go in the morning and I get up really early in the morning. I would drive to the, uh, to the bar and I would sit there in my car and like almost like spiritually try to figure out somebody had to have seen him. You know, he wasn't alone. Somebody hadn't seen him. And I, there was like a gas station. I would stop by the gas station. You know, I would just, I just, I would do that because I was so, I knew our case was going to get dismissed. And, and I told the family, if I can't prove which bar he was at, because these are little bars, none of the kids are talking because they don't want to get in trouble. You know, these are 16 year olds or high school kids. The bar owners aren't going to acknowledge that. I remember, uh, I remember talking with my law partner and saying, man, if they file a motion to dismiss, we're fucked because I have no, I, you know, we know he's dead, we know he's drunk, and, uh, but we don't know where he was, and I can't prove it yet. And I remember talking to him, and I was getting discouraged, and we're going to, no stone unturned, we're going we're gonna to hire this investigator, and we're going to figure this out. I'm going to give it like two months. I'm going to put every resource I can into trying to figure out where he was. And um, I remember getting a call at like two in the morning from this investigator and he's had his own mobile home park. And, and I said, man, if you find anything, just call me because, <laughs> yeah. you know, wow. when you grow up the way we like, I'm a competitor. I don't want to lose. I want to help this family. Plus I want to hold people accountable. And uh, he, we were at some mobile home park in the middle of a terrible place in Orlando. And he said, I think there's a witness used to work at the bar that might be willing to talk to us. So knocked on the door, woman comes out, you know, who are you? What do you want? What are you doing at my door? I tried to explain it. Got at your head. Yeah. Just a little typical. Yeah. Oh man. Well, my investigator is kind of badass. So, <laughs> but anyway, we wound up getting the name of someone out of there that she told us, after I begged and she realized we weren't there to like repossess her car or something. And I'm like, I mean, it was, it was dark out. I remember that name of a girl who happened to be in prison. So we knew she, where she was, who had worked at the bar. So uh, the next morning I got up, I went, I went to the prison. It was, uh, it wasn't Tomoka. It was uh, Lowell. It was Lowell, which is outside Ocala. It's a women's prison. She was in there for drugs and she sat down and talked with me and I brought pictures of Andy and she said, uh, yeah, I know him. He was in there all the time in the bar. And I'm like, do you know who he is with? And she said, and she told me, she gave me some names of other, 
of other kids. And this is probably two years now after he died. And within 24 hours, we had located one of the kids that he had been with. I called him on the phone and I said, and his name was Michael, and I won't say his last name, but and so Michael, you know, this is Steve Eichenblatt. You know, we're helping the uh, Andy's family. You know, can you talk with us? And he said, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll talk with you. But you have to do me a favor. Now, and I was like, well, what's, what's that? He goes, on your way over, can you stop at Wendy's and get me a double cheeseburger? So, <laughs> uh, it's like, whatever you want. That's right. So we went over there, and he <laughs> said, I was with Andy that night. We had 10 beers. We drank all the time at this bar. And, uh, you know, we got a statement and the case, you know, settled within 24 hours because the bar owner tried to then say, oh, yeah, you know, he might have been there, but I don't think he had all the drinks. And it was like it was over, game over. And so the family was ecstatic. And uh, and the mom, who had been a cancer survivor, beautiful five foot two woman, um, had a lot of faith. And she said, Steve, you know, what can we do for you? I mean, no, I'm getting paid, of course. But but I said, well, will you come talk to some high school kids? Because I think your story, a mom of a 16-year-old who was killed in a car crash because he drank, because he made a mistake, I think will really resonate. And she was very reluctant because she was scared. But when she realized that kids would listen to her, so we put together a, a presentation and she allowed us to put up his, and she wouldn't watch this, but the high school kids would come in and I put up his autopsy report and I would show the kids what happened in that car crash and how much alcohol he had. And then Jan, her name was Jan, she would come out and his favorite, he loved Leonard Skinner. So we would play, uh, I think it's Simple Man. It was some, we would play that music. And he loved Napoleon Dynamite. That was the movie at the time. Okay. And uh, she would come out. She would talk to the kids about, first I would tell, talk about my story a little bit, you know, how I fucked up in the past and my father was a drug addict and how, you know, even adults make big mistakes. And, you know, now's the opportunity to learn that if you make that first mistake, call your parents or call your mentor or call your friend and don't make it worse. So, so we started this thing called Andy's Promise and we would go to high schools and she would come and sometimes I'd bring a police officer that maybe I represented or somebody else with an inspirational story and talk to the kids. And we started talking, I did it for like 10 or 11 years. And uh, in fact, this is the first year I didn't do it because of the pandemic. And this little mom, I'll never forget that. And I don't, man, it's, I get emotional, but I, it's hard for me to cry. I need to cry more. Apparently, I have trouble. It's a podcast, so no one will be able to see him. Steve, That's you. right, man. Exactly. Well, you can. So, one of the most amazing things was she's telling her story, and you know, we we would be talking to the high school seniors, three, four hundred people, kids. You know, some of the big high schools here, and even some of the private high schools started calling and getting us to come talk. And and I would say, look, I'm going to say fuck. I'm going to say shit. I want these kids to understand that we're real people. I'm not just some lawyer. I've lived a life with all, everybody, your parents, even if they don't tell you, has made mistakes. And I remember, so during one of the, uh, after the event, after it would be over, people, kids would want to hang out. They'd want to hug her. They'd want to hug Jan. You know, she's- That's way cool. Really cool. And one day we're standing there and 
people are, you know, some of the kids are waiting and this kid comes running in the gym and he's like, he's walks up to, to, to Jan and I'm standing there and he said, Jan, uh, I was a friend of your son's and I just got a call from somebody at the school to tell me that you were here talking about him. And, and the kid was a painter, like he's a blue collar kid. And, and she said, and he said, I drove over here as fast as I could because I wanted to give you a hug and tell you what your son meant to me. And that kind of experience, you know, being able to, to share those stories and help kids and, and learn later on from kids that we were able to just get through to one kid or get through to another kid, save one life, you know, get one kid to pick up that phone and call their, their parents. We are absolutely able to, to find out years later that, that we had that effect. And because you, I've been doing it so long, I've had, you know, multiple times where people have come up, oh, you're the guy that speaks at the schools or, oh, my daughter told me about your talk. And, and I started bringing in like a criminal lawyer to talk about what happens if you get pulled over. If you're in high school, if you're a high school kid and you're driving your Mercedes because you make more than the cop in Alabama works and you're going to school out of state. What do you do when a police officer pulls you over? How do you act? You know, what do you do in a dorm? If you're in a dorm room and you got dope and they knock on your door, you know, um, Check the states that every college kid, every high school kid may be going to college and whether it's Boston or whether it's California or Mississippi, every state, every college has different rules. You know, we talk to them about, think about these things. Think about the internet, you know, think about what you're putting on the fucking internet because right. it's going to affect you. We didn't have to deal with that. You know I mean? We didn't have to deal with cell phones and fraternity parties. Otherwise, there's no way I have a license. <laughs> yes, right. There's no proof. Okay, no proof. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But it's it's so they deal with a lot. You know, they deal with a lot of things, and that we didn't have to deal with. So, so basically, our my Andy's promise, and that's what we called it, evolved into talking to kids about a lot of different things, not just you know drinking and driving because now we have Uber, but but also you know being on the internet. Um, Another thing that we talk about is sexting. And I started bringing a female a prosecutor, and she's a real badass. And she would come and she would speak and she would uh, tell these kids because sexting is before my time. But um, and, Bummer, but, huh? Yeah. <laughs> nobody wants to see me, buddy. Um, uh, but she would say, she would say, listen, I'm a, you know, we have a whole uh, department that looks at your, your junk all day long. And if I see your junk, you know, you're going to jail. And she would tell the kids, you know, it's a, if you are 18 years old and you're a high school senior and your girlfriend is a sophomore, but she's 15 or 16 or whatever it is, that's a sex crime, you know, and you're going to jail. Nobody, and she'll say, nobody wants to see your dick. She'll say that to the kids <laughs> because she's a prosecutor and she means it and it, right. gets, it gets across to them. You know, you can't, do those things, um, it will have a life-lasting effect. So, so it evolved into, into into that kind of talk, and it all arose out of that one. You know, that one. you know, Steve. That's I mean, it's an amazing story, and I, and I really want to give you tons of accolades for what you're doing and, and the consistency of that program. And I think, you know, for some of our listeners that are out there. Some people don't start things because they believe that it's a monumentous thing they have to do. They look at some things in their life 
or acts that they want to take on or businesses they want to start or something along that line, maybe get married, get divorced, whatever it is that looks huge. It, everything isn't really that huge. If you really want to break it down, like the 212 theory, at 212 degrees, water boils, right? And when water boils, it produces steam. At 211, water is just hot. That one extra degree produces steam, and steam can move a locomotive where hot water cannot. And so what you're doing, you know, consistently over the years and years is you're, you're going that one extra degree. You're planting the seed, right? You're dropping the pebble in the ocean. And that first ripple is small, but over time, that, that wave, that little wave gets bigger and bigger and transcends out further. And it's amazing, you know, what you're doing and how the fact that, you know, five, 10, 12 years later, people come up to you and go, hey, you're that guy. You influenced my life. You saved, you saved a life. and You don't even know. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a, it is amazing what the, what the ripple, what the ripple effect has. And, and, you know, it, to me, I mean, I love giving, I, I really do. And I've always told, and I make this offer to anybody listening, you know, if you're, if you're kidding, I've had lots of friends, if, if they need somebody to talk to or, or they screw up or you want them to come talk so I can show one-on-one and say, listen, if you want to go to law school, here's what being a lawyer is about. You know, it's a great profession. I'm very proud of what I do. I'm proud of achieving justice. And, you know, I don't, I don't appreciate all some of the, uh, some of the way the lawyers advertise and, and some of the solicitation going on out there. But, but as a whole, it's a really admirable profession. And I'm, re- I'm really proud of it. But I've had lots of parents who have called me and, you know, over the years said, hey, you know, Jimmy needs, uh, he needs you to talk to him. You know, you need to show them some of those pictures you have and yeah. or you need to, to let them know. Or I've taken kids to the jail. Like I've taken kids to first appearance up in the courthouse because, you know, where they bring the people in that have been locked up the night before. Because you don't know this. I mean, you do, Frank, but, but a lot of parents don't know and kids would know that, you know, at the local courthouse, there's a, there's a holding cell and there's a jail and there are hardened criminals that are, you know, within a mile of your house, if you're close, and your kids, it's, it's a good lesson for them to understand. Of course, they don't want to commit crimes because they could wind up like that. But also, there's a lot of people out there that could use help. You know, a lot of people that could use help that are put in circumstances that they, they can't control. So, um, so we've done a lot of, you know, a lot of that. Too. You scare them straight. <laughs> Basically, yeah. You guys want to screw yeah. around here? Let me show you what this feels like. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Because it's not a uh, pleasant thing. But, you know, we definitely have people who have been you know, inspired by that or moved or not everything's a success story. But you know, we need that, don't you think? I mean, don't you think we need that? I mean, don't you think we live in a society right now that just coddles the shit out of everybody? You know, everybody gets a participation trophy and just show up and you're included. No, that's not the way the world works. Right. Yeah. Winners and losers. And there are people that succeed and there are people that don't. And there are people that need like a good kick in the ass sometimes and say, listen, this is not a, you fucked up. You broke the law. You broke the law. And as a result, you're going to do the time or you're going to pay the fine or whatever it is, right? There's going to be a lesson that you learn. And if it's soft and, you know, something that doesn't really create a, a lasting memory other than just a little pat on the back and, oh, don't worry about it, you know? Well, it's, it's also about accountability. You know, you're yeah. going to be held accountability for your mistakes. And, you know, that we have leaders, uh, in business, in our country, that that point the fingers and blame everybody else, and at some point you have to look in the mirror and say, you know, what? I screwed up, and I need to I need to hold myself responsible for that. And and part of what we do as lawyers is 
is we hold the, the people that are responsible, you know, to account. I mean, there's so, there's so many times, and uh, my grandfather business in New York for a long time, and he always used to say, settle early, you know, accept responsibility, settle early, because we, like I've been involved in cases that have gotten seven, eight years, and if the person who made the mistake at the beginning, whether it's a doctor or, you know, somebody who hit somebody by accident, would have jumped in early and said, you know what, I, I'm sorry this happened, I apologize, and we would like to resolve it. It is amazing how much litigation would be, could be avoided. That'd yeah. rather be right than rich, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. It's, I spent three hours, the first three hours of a mediation just this week as a virtual mediation, you know, fighting with the mediator because the, the other side, all, if he had just said on the other side, I am sorry that this happened to you. He didn't even have to accept responsibility. It would have talked, my client was very emotional and we had to talk her off the ledge. And I'm like, it wasn't even, it, it, of course, it always eventually leads to money. But I'm like, if you would just say, you know, I'm sorry that it happened to you. Show a little empathy. Show a little empathy and you'll appreciate this, Mr. Orange. And bring a check with you. You know, if you're the insurance adjuster or you're getting sued, say, if we settle it, I'm going to be able to hand you a check today. Right. And, you know, I can't believe more people don't do that. And that's a different uh, well, it's, it's so, a now, right? Again, people's people want to get stuck to their story, stuck with their ego. It never really serves us, really, when we stay in that ego state. It's at our, that's our head state, right? When you come from the heart, you know, you come from a place of loving. And I'm not saying you come from a place of weakness and surrender and give up. And, you know, it's it, 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 that sometimes settling early. I agree with it, Steve. I, I've been plenty of legal situations in my life. And, you know, between marriages and divorces and, you know, you run six companies, you're going to eventually need a lawyer for something, right? Yeah. <laughs> and God knows I've had my share of them. But you're right. I mean, it's, it's settling early and, and it's just coming to an agreement. Say, look, this didn't work. I'm sorry it didn't work. It's amazing the power of just forgiveness. Forgiveness is giving up all hope for a better past, right? You will never change the past. So forgive it, forgive yourself, forgive the people that were involved in it, and move the fuck on. That's, right? Uh, but in the long run, that's, that's, no, it makes, it makes a lot of sense. And not every case or situation is going to be like that. Sometimes you have to, you know, people have to go through, even in divorces, you see this, go through all these emotional stages right. in order to... You want the fucking blue plate? You can have it. I don't. Yeah, I don't need. Yeah, that. yeah, 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 yeah. To get to the uh, to the end point. I mean, I've been practicing law for thirty years now, so I can get together with a lawyer on the other side who's been practicing for as long as I have. Within like five minutes, I guarantee you, we can predict exactly where and how this case should settle. And but it's going to take us a long time to get there because sometimes you have to go through the like the seven stages of death or whatever they call it. You know, you have to go through the processes. Like, where, you know, you're a businessman. You can cut through it. Okay, let's put everything else aside. What do we need to do to, to, to close you, it? You, you think know? so, right? I get, in most business people, yeah. You know, I did a podcast called The Z Factor, and it's about getting to Z. Z is the decision, right? Z is the, fi- the final crossing the finish line, right? It's, it, how fast can we get to Z? Yeah. You've got this engineering. And I kind of, you know, I've lumped lawyers into this category, too. I've got to go A, then B. got to pay the retainer, and then we got to find this thing, and then we got to do discovery, and then, you know, I got to tweet yeah. your ex-wife so that, you know, she's sends 85 more emails that you guys got a fucking process. <laughs> By the time you get to Z, you're three years out, right? Big legal bills. And really, what did you settle for? You end up giving away the blue plate. 
Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Emails too. This is lawyers like me who are, you know, I'm like an art of war guy. You know, if you ever read that book, Art of War. Look at things from all sides. If I'm in my I'm thinking about a case and I'm gonna look at all the strengths and weaknesses and and you know, cover my back and and strategize and Sometimes, you know, emails, like my clients who will email or go on social media, if you're in litigation, man, that stuff is gold to me. A lawyer like me, I love if the other side's on Facebook or, or sending emails that they shouldn't. I mean, even lawyers are stupid. They'll put stuff in emails that just hurts them, whereas I'm kind of strategic in what if I send an email. You know, there's, I'm kind of strategic in how I send it or what I send. Or uh, I'm not talking about deception. I'm just talking about, you know, common sense and intelligence and something emotional and they write that email after having, you know, eight shots of Jack Daniels and you're like, oh shit, I just posted a live on Facebook Live about Mr. Orange that I probably shouldn't have, you know, whatever. Yeah, no sexting, by the way, okay? Yeah. <laughs> no, but I mean, you're right, though. I mean, in a way, it was kind of a blessing in disguise. We didn't have cell phones, and there wasn't cameras everywhere. I mean, God knows how many fraternity parties we had that were just crazy and out of control. Yeah. You know? yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. we had the riot squad. We had the, in Lowell, Massachusetts, when I was living there, and that's where my fraternity was based. It was only two times in the history of the city, and it was a big blue-collar city that the riot squad was ever called out. One was to break up the headquarters of the hell's angels. And the second time was to break up our fraternity party. <laughs> that was pretty wild. <laughs> no, there's no, I was in a fraternity too. And I was in a fraternity called Theta Chi of Florida state. And I, I got so much out of fraternity, especially if you're a, if you're a kid that doesn't have any direction, because I really, I really didn't have any direction. Yeah. I was, because I did well on my SATs, like I told you, I, I got in back then, University of Florida and Florida State were pretty easy to get into. And we're talking, you know, 1978. And I remember that everybody said, well, you got to go to University of Florida because that's where the Jewish kids go because I'm Jewish. And I'm like, well, fuck, that's definitely not where I'm going. So I went to Tallahassee, which is the redneck, uh, was the redneck school at the time, but it also used to be an all-women's school. You know, and then so oh, okay. and then, then men and, and plus Tallahassee's great and they're both great schools. I've gone to, to both and I wound up pledging a fraternity. It really affected my life in a lot of positive. There's a lot of positive things on leadership that I learned and friendship and, and you know, teamwork and there's a lot of great things. But of course there's a lot of partying and there's there's uh there's bad things that come out of that that you see now, you know, with pledging and it's there's, oh, yeah. there's always a middle ground, right? Right. It was a bit extreme. I mean, we were literally in the fraternity pledging the same year that Animal House was a film. Right? Exactly. <laughs> oh, that's all they did? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. My roommate at, at Florida State University, he didn't drink. And we became close friends. And he was from Carrollton, Georgia. I was the first Jewish person he had ever met. And he was a hunter. He loved to go in the woods. He had guns in the in the dorm room and everything else. This is where my conservative versus liberal thing comes out because I, I that was fine with me. I didn't care. And you know, as long as he's responsible. And he literally would shoot squirrels, cook them in our on the hot plate in the dorm room. Remember those little hot plates? Oh yeah. Yeah. And he'd cook squirrels and rabbits. And so I started going hunting with him. And I actually bought a gun, which people don't even understand, like a Remington 870. I couldn't shoot for shit. So but we wound up pledging the fraternity together 
and he did not drink. And so they would put pressure on him. And this is where I was headed with this is peer pressure, you know, affects kids. And they do things because they don't want to be the one left out or be weak. He did not drink. And the brothers in the fraternity would put all this pressure on him as a pledge. You got to chug beer, chug beer, chug beer. Well, because he didn't drink, I didn't drink. I refused to drink a beer my entire freshman year because he didn't drink. So I was his brother, man. I was not going to. So I refused to drink. And even though I did drink before, I would not, you know, I would not play. I would not drink a beer. And he wound up, um, he retired last year as a, a full colonel in the Marine Corps. And he was a pilot. He flew, uh, he was involved in some of the, the major, you know, rescue missions in Somalia and everything else. And we became lifelong friends, even though he's very conservative. But, um, and I'm sort of liberal. But, uh, but you know, the, the, the peer pressure thing is something that influences too many kids now because of the Internet and the bullying. And you got to be strong enough to have the right people around you, have the right mentors, and, um, you know, have the support to do what, what you know is right for, for you. Because right. if, man, especially with the Internet, you know, that's a big issue with kids. I, I could have used you at my fraternity, Steve. I, I did <laughs> I did my share of drinking for the both of you guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, hey, I, I did plenty of partying, man. I didn't, uh, you know, but it was certainly, you know, I wasn't one to like succumb to peer, peer pressure. Uh, you could be stubborn, I guess, you know, standing up for your, your principles. But you know, I'd like to see kids do, do that more, you know, stand up for themselves and be a leader, not a follower, not take the easy road. You know, I wish my kids could have gotten to a Tony Robbins thing, uh, you know, an event like that. Too. Uh, and, my, and my kids are awesome, man. Um, I want to mention that before we, whenever we end this, because I, my kids have all, like, even though their mom and I are divorced, you know, we, we do team up well when it comes to raising our kids and talking about them and letting them be who they want to be. So you know, my oldest son has done stand-up comedy. He's kind of a film producer. He's at a show, and my my daughter is going to be doing stand-up. She works out in California now, and she's incredibly funny. And people are like, are you going to let your kids do that? I'm like, I want my kids to do whatever it is that they want to do. Sure. And if they fail, at least they try. They gave it a shot. My my other, my middle son was a guitar player. He's, he's graduated law school now, but, you know, he wrote songs and he had this, you know, I'm going to go up to, to Nashville. And I was like, I'm, go for it, man. And people yeah. said, well, that's he's so good awesome. too, man. He's good. You sent me some clips, man. He's good. Yeah. yeah, he's good. But you know, somebody's got to do it, right? Somebody's, somebody's, I'd rather see my kids go up, follow their dream. If it doesn't work out, you know, go to the next thing. You know, I mean, right. I'm sure look at you. I mean, how many businesses do you have? And kids don't do that enough. You know, they're all looking for that easy, easy way. Here I am getting on my To some degree, yeah, to some degree. You know, you know, unfortunately, to some degree, the millennials are, are tagged with this, you know, handout kind of mentality, which isn't totally true with a lot of these guys. I mean, they're more, maybe they're a little more introverted than we were back in the day. You know, there are a lot of successful millennials right now. They're just finding a different space that's different than us. So it's easy to criticize, you know, sometimes maybe make some pre, pre-judgment that doesn't necessarily need to be there. Again, I, I really appreciate you having you having you on the show. I, there's a million topics I could go over with you and stories, man. You got like... Again, you know, the car accident, that's a great story. We'll, we'll do that some other time. But I, yeah. just for the, you know, you raised your kids, you're, you're a parent of divorce. Your kids are child of divorce. I'm a parent of divorce as well. Now, my parents got divorced, but I got divorced. And so I raised my kids. 
part-time dad and all that, you know, all that goes with that, right? So if there were two tips that you could give to people that are single parents that are raising kids right now, because let's face it, it's about 60 to 70% of the population of, of marriages break down. So it is the majority. You know, what would you say to, is two pieces of advice for a single parent that's raising kids and to give them the best quality of life. What would you, what would you throw out there? I would definitely say to tell your kids that you love them every day, you know, and no, no matter what, to make sure that they know that the door is always open and even, um, you know, text them, call them, let them know that you're, that you're in your life and make it, don't be the taskmaster, be, be a parent, but also keep yourself open enough so that they will be, they're not afraid to be honest with you and talk to you about the hard stuff and talk to them about the hard stuff and admit your own mistakes as a parent. Let them know that you're human, that you've, you've been there, you've done things. And right. yeah, I, I would, you know, travel with them because I was a divorced dad and you know what that's like. I love the fish. I love the outdoors. You know, from my Facebook posts, I always love spending time with my kids in the outdoors because there's no distractions. You know, you're together focusing on nature or you're on a fishing boat or, you know, doing a physical activity together. It's more than two, but, you know, those are the kinds of things that, that I would definitely, uh, definitely recommend. Fantastic. Great, great advice. And Steve, how can people get involved with Andy's Promise or get in touch with you, you know, if they want to be involved in that or even, you know, similar type of programs or even yeah. You know, I, I would I would just say, like, for me, like, for example, my book is still coming. You know, right now I do everything through my, my law firm a website or my email. So my law firm is Eichenblatt, which uh, is hard to spell, dot com. You can Google me. You won't see me in the advertisements uh, on TV, but, but you can track it down that way or track it down through Mr. Orange. And if anybody's listening out there and they... They need uh, legal advice. If I can't give it to you, I will send you to somebody who can help you. I, I really, uh, there's a lot of great lawyers, and it's the best way to get, you know, get referrals. And if I can help you in any way, or your kids, or your family, you know, I'm a personal injury lawyer, but you know, with with anything, because um, the legal system's uh, it's intimidating for people who haven't been in it. You know, a lot of people don't even know any lawyers or have never talked to one, never had to deal with one. And, it's not a, it's not a fun, people don't come, you know, they don't associate with lawyers. They don't hire a lawyer because there's great things happening. There's an issue that needs to be addressed. So we're problem solvers. We're going to celebrate something. Who do we call first? Oh, let's call our lawyer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah, somebody brought me a bottle of champagne the other, uh, the other day. There you go, man. There you go. So we got to result. No, man, I'm here. I'm, I'm here to help anybody. Awesome. You know, Steve, one of the, uh, well, the tagline for my show, I always finish it the same way is to stay inspiring. And I have these orange sunglasses and they say stay inspiring on the side of them. And I got to tell you, man, you are an inspiring guy. You know, you're the type of person that can leave a room, leave a conversation and everybody feels inspired when they're done. So I want to finish this show today and just say you are, you are the, the definition and a great example of somebody who stays inspiring. So thanks for being on the show today. It's been a real treat and I'm looking forward to talking to you again sometime. Yeah, man, it was, it was an orange, Mr. Orange. It really was. Thanks. Yeah, you like me now, don't you? Yeah. I see you, man. I always loved you, man. I liked it. You got balls, man. I liked it. I liked it from the second I saw you open that damn mouth of yours. Good. Good. All right, brother. Thanks very much. All right. We'll see you later. Thanks for listening to this episode of Orange Crushing It. Hope you're fired up to take on your week with unstoppable energy. Hey, if you like the broadcast, please subscribe. 
Share it with your best buds and please write a badass review. You can reach me at themrorange.com. Stay inspiring, y'all.